I always say start small. What I see out in the world is exactly what you're saying. People are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid of having, you know, the woke conversation or critical race theory. You don't have to start with those big concepts. You don't have to, what I call, boil the ocean, but start small. Starting small could be something very, very easy. It could be having three people on a conversation just like we're having now. And it allows people to slowly embed themselves into the work instead of that stark, oh my gosh, we're having a diversity conversation. Hey everybody, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we are from the Just In Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. We let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what is on the cafe menu? Well, Tracy, today's highlight is our interview with Danette Nelson, the owner of Stone Soup Diversity. Danette brings her startup experience and a little Lean Six Sigma sauce to the diversity conversation, which has given her tactical insights on ensuring growth. For hot apps, we'll end the year with a little AI duel between two rivals that offer meeting summaries. And for Q&A, we'll tackle the untapped People around us know stuff, stuff we probably want to know, stuff we might need to know, but we often miss what is right in front of us. How do we counteract that? It's the last podcast of the year, Tracy. All right. Up next, it's Hot Apps. Artificial intelligence is in the news every single day. The headlines tend to be alarming and it's like the great unknown. So uh, you and I have been dabbling each month of late in AI offerings that might be of use to us. And I guess the idea is, you know, we make friends with it. We can lower the dread factor that, you know, you see in the news all the time. So this month we are tackling the meeting summary app Otter Pilot from Otter AI and comparing it to the built-in summary feature that comes with Zoom online meetings. Autopilot came up for me when I got an email before joining a meeting announcing that it would be joining too on behalf of a colleague. And I got curious, so I signed up for free uh, to see what it did. And once it summarized the meeting for me, I decided I'd finally check out also the new Zoom feature uh, claiming to do the same thing. So Tracy, had you used that Zoom feature before this week? I had not. And, you know, maybe I was resisting trying something new for a moment, but that's why I'm really glad we do these podcasts and we highlight apps because it forces me to learn. <laughs> it is. We get shoved into education, Tracy, like it or not. Yeah, um, all managed by our calendar. <laughs> completely. Once a month. Learn something new, people. So, yeah, the Zoom summary comes in 100 word paragraphs, right? I took a look, I was sort of, sort of breaking it down once I, once I got a look at it. So it starts with a quick recap. Um, and then for the summary, it gives you titled paragraphs, right? For every subject, it thinks that we tackled when we were talking and it gives us a list of bulleted next steps at the bottom, which I, which I like. 
Um, what I saw was surprisingly accurate, right? It pretty much nailed what we were talking about, except where it turns my colleague's name from John Gaspari, my, my good colleague and author, John Gaspari. And when I looked at the way it spelled it, it was Janga, J-A-N-G-A, Spari, S-P-A-R-I. I'm going to tell him about that. So let's do a little comparison um, with Otter Pilot, Tracy. Yes. So Otter Pilot does something just a little bit different. It transcribes the entire conversation. And the summary is a list of the topics and the timestamps and when they took place. So it lists the participants and speakers one, two, three, et cetera. And it includes many versions of screenshots that were shared, so that's impressive. And there's also an option to get Otter's list of action items and those were pretty spot on, which that's my favorite part because I'm getting older and I'm gonna admit that sometimes I forget what was I supposed to do and I like to listen and be present. So I don't actually like to take notes during a meeting, but then I have a hard time remembering what I was supposed to do. So I think this will help out a lot by having that action list. So the free version though, only gives you 30 minutes per meeting and then it leaves the meeting. <laughs> and so that's kind of another odd aspect. <laughs> Everyone except the host can see a blank video image that claims to be the host's otter pilot. It's a bit eerie seeing this bot window holder. Um, and, you know, it's a little strange. Like, uh, it just feels like a little intrusive, I guess. It's unclear why the host can't see it. Did that seem odd to you, Elizabeth? It did. And then another thing um, that our colleague Deandra warned us about is that it will join every meeting on your calendar unless you tell it not to, even if you're not going, right? If you don't show up at a meeting, your little autopilot shows up going, hey, <laughs> I'm recording everything, which I, I got to think that's what? unnerving too. Yeah, I know that's bad. So, you know, I, I was, I'm, I'm going in, you can go and select, don't go to this meeting, don't go to this meeting, but you got to kind of be on it, right? Otherwise this thing shows up like, you know, if you think of all the meetings that you're not attending, like there's some of them, it's really not good to have this little ghost monitor show up. Yes. Um, and so, my question too, is if other people have Otter Pilot, is there a ghost for every person that has Otter Pilot? Yeah, what happens to the, it also kind of messes up, like, I love the Zoom window, you know, where you get this tableau of all the participants, and it's it's kind of like a nice party picture, and now it's got this blank thing with a bot in it, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I like that, and then like you're saying, what if it's like a whole mess of otter bots like in there, like, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's and if you much. don't have any friends, I mean, you, I guess you could have a bunch of bots there and you feel like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's company. It's AI company. So I have to say, I found the Zoom summary, like the latest version of Zoom now gives you that um, option. You hit summary. It announces to everybody it's going to summarize. You can see a little star blinking in the upper left-hand corner while it's doing it. Um, and it provides, you know, an actual summary and not just a topic list you know, with timestamps. I, I love the fact that I got an actual summary, right? That's that's meeting notes. That's That was somebody's job, once again, that not always a welcome one, right? If you're responsible for writing all the notes, maybe you can't participate as much because you're you're focusing. Uh, yeah. um, but I like having more control over that function since, you know, we get to decide or the meeting host decides whether to use it or not. Plus, you know, it's included in Zoom, so free for us. Yeah, free for us and real time instantly after the meeting, not like somebody taking notes and then they give it to you a week later. Ah, true. 
right? So if you upgrade to autopilot, you get more features and more meeting minutes for 10 bucks a month. And there's a business version for 20 bucks a month that enables concurrent meeting transcriptions and unlimited transcriptions of video and audio files. So if you want free meeting transcriptions for 30 minute meetings, it's a steal. It is, Tracy. So our take on this was two different things, right? You're getting an actual transcription with Otter, like verbatim what was said, and you can go review it. Um, or maybe you could pump that into another AI app to get it to summarize. But the other one, the Zoom summary is just that. It is the summary. And both of them kind of give you action items, next steps. Um, so I don't know. Up to you. You decide. I'm thinking right now I'm leaning towards the botless one. <laughs> I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you get to hear our interview with Danette Nelson of Stone Soup Diversity. Today, we're discussing an issue that boils down to someone thinking to themselves, I know stuff. And I hear people saying this in so many words all the time. And the latest was my 91-year-old mother, right? She grew up poor in the Depression, but she ended up traveling the world, going back to school, getting her college degree and her master's later in life. She started a business. She is still sharp as a tech. And she was complaining to me about someone who spent most of their time spouting facts and information to her. And my mother was like, she said, I've got 30 years on her. Doesn't she realize I know a thing or two? So have you ever felt that, Tracy, that someone was in like transmit only mode? They figured everyone around them needed to be educated when the people listening probably know stuff, too? Uh, yes. So sadly, these are some of my family members. <laughs> So I try not to hang out with them too much because I call it transit only. You call it transit only. I also say tell mode. They're in tell mode, right? Like get out of that mode. And it's it's kind of annoying. And it's like they're waiting to jump to tell mode. And it just drives me bonkers. It, it really does drive me bonkers. But I have to say, I really try to... I always feel like I can learn something from anyone, really. It could be just a comment they say or a quote that they say, or sometimes it's, you hear something right at the right moment and it hits you a different way. And so, you know, I, I'm always listening for that. And I always feel like I can learn from people, but the Telmo can be pretty annoying. And yeah. I have to be honest, you know, you know, and I, I've shared this with you, Elizabeth, you know, I really struggled when my son became a teenager because I was so used to being in tell mode as a parent that I, I needed to transition out of transit only and start listening and start having two-way conversations. So that was the big learn for me is I was doing it too. So I'm just going to point out transit only would be your, you're in like leaving mode. I'm in transit. I'm going away. I'm talking about transmit only. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> but I like transit, transit? only. I like transit only because that's like a whole new mode of operating. Like you, someone's telling you something, you're like, got to run. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have time. I, I got to catch a train. I got to catch a bus. I'm in transit, transit only. only mode. <laughs> so when you're trying to avoid people. Right. You can say, you can tell, you can come on the bus with me and talk to me then, but I'm in transit. Um, yeah. Okay. So another aspect is this uh, people finishing your sentences. You know, do you have experience with that? Like, I'm sure I've been guilty of it. 
But I, and I often have to tell the person, no, that's that's not actually what I was going to say. Right. They might they're jumping to what they where they think I'm going. And I think it's kind of exuberance. And maybe the person is just enjoying the story so much they want to finish it. And I know I studied a little bit of what neuroscience is there, what happens when you tell a story. There's something called neural coupling. So whatever emotion that a person is feeling as they tell a story, the listener's feeling that too. You know, they've done brain imaging that shows what's happening, that, that you're connected. So maybe that bit of neuroscience explains why people have that urge to cut people off and start telling their stories for them. Mm -hmm. Have you had that? Well, no, I think I do it because I, you know, I am again, I I'm excitable. I'm extroverted and I try really hard not to do that, but I, I really, I, I have absolute respect for people as well. So it helps me listen to their story and I don't like to cut people off. And, and I don't know what it is. I think it's, you know, that whole thing that you talk about in your book, waiting to talk, right? I think people, you know, they're listening, but then they're sort of waiting to talk. What, what are they really doing? And if we can all be really present in listening and not waiting to talk, you know, we have much more enriching experiences, you know, with, with people and they're enjoyable on both ends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Great point. You know, listening to my mother made me more cognizant of my own assumptions, you know, made me see basically what you just talked about, like find more opportunities for inquiry, you know, and in this case, it got me recording her. And I, I looked up questions um, to ask a person, right, about their early life and adventures. And I, I have to tell you, she does know stuff, but then so do many of the people around us. So just hold that thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just going to share really quickly that one of my favorite movies with Steve Martin is Parenthood. And I don't know if you, you saw this movie, but... The grandma live with them and they're fighting. And then the grandma comes in with this wonderful story about roller coasters and how roller coasters are a lot like life. And some people really like the roller coaster and other people don't. And they like the merry-go-round. It just goes around and around. And she goes, but I really like the roller coaster. And she leaves. And then, you know, and then her, Steve Martin, her son and his wife get into a fight and so she's telling the story for learning. And then Steve Martin's like, well, if she's so smart, how come she's sit sitting in the our neighbor's car? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We're going to have to get a snippet of that, that little movie clip because it's just hilarious. But people know stuff. You don't want to admit that they know stuff. That's right. I'm Tracy O'Rourke. You're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast, and we host these monthly. So you can go to www.jitcafe.com. That's J-I-T-C-A-F-E.com and go to our podcast page. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Danette Nelson. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little about Danette? I, I would absolutely love to. We had the pleasure of meeting and listening to Danette's presentation at the Cleveland Conference for the Association for Manufacturing Excellence, or AME, in October. And we knew we had to have her at the cafe. So Danette Nelson, Danny, uses she, her, and hers pronouns and is a seasoned expert with over 20 years of experience in legal human resources, and diversity. She has successfully led startups and established companies through growth, 
and challenging times. With a law degree and a master's degree in HR, she's demonstrated her commitment to growth, education, and personal development. Danny is the owner of Stone Soup Diversity Consulting. I love that name. Mm. Transforming workplaces into thriving, inclusive communities and specializing in providing tailored solutions for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are super psyched to have her at the cafe. Oh, yeah. Welcome, Danny, to the Just in Time Cafe. <laughs> hey, Thank Danny, you. it's great to see you again. And Tracy and I are so happy you agreed to come to the cafe. Yours was one of the most inspiring sessions we got to enjoy in Cleveland last month at AME. And we love it when people bring lean principles into the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. So I'm going to dive right in. I want you to tell us a little bit about, I love the name. We both love the name. Your organization, Stone Soup Diversity. Yeah. Thanks, Elizabeth and Tracy. Thanks for having me. First off, I really appreciate it. Um, I started, I am the founder and CEO of Stone Soup Diversity Consulting, founded about, I don't know, eight months ago, a little less than a year ago. It was um, kind of what, what the young folks call a side hustle uh, with my full-time <laughs> full job. Um, but I recently in August left my full-time job to really focus on Stone Soup Diversity. And really the, the idea behind Stone Soup Diversity Consulting, um, you know, if I had a tagline, it's really meeting people where they are on their diversity journey. A lot of people don't know what they don't know. And certainly in the diversity space, people are very afraid to uh, step in it or not sure how to navigate tough conversations, that's really Stone Soup's job. We're going to help you step out of it. We're going to help you create a safe and balanced space to have a conversation about diversity. And again, meeting you where you are on your journey, that means uh, you could have never had a conversation around diversity and inclusion, or your company could have a diversity committee already in place. And I can sit in and help navigate and make recommendations. So it really does kind of uh, uh, really span the spectrum of what the diversity need is and how to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. I can't wait to ask you more questions, but that title really caught my eye. And of course, most people know the fable of stone soup yes. where hungry strangers <laughs> convince the people of a town to share a small amount of their food in order to make a meal that everyone can enjoy. Um, and, you know, the moral behind it regarding the value of sharing. But can you tell our audience the story and or analogy behind why you chose yeah. Stone Soup Diversity? Because to me, I would love to hear that. It's such a great question. I get asked this all the time. And you're right, Tracy. There is the old, I think, um, Eastern European fable about the two children in the village that go around and they take a pot uh, with a stone in it and some water, and they ask the villagers to add to their pot so they can make stone, so they can make soup for the village. Well, in the diversity um, space, I'm kind of doing the same thing. What I'm doing is I'm I'm taking 
an empty vessel, an empty pot, you know, whatever idea. And I'm kind of passing that around to people who might have diversity um, and inclusion in their background. Some, as I said, who may not have any uh, education and awareness on diversity. And I'm allowing people and, and my clients to really put their knowledge into the pot. And what that does is it actually creates a discussion. And you've heard me say this before. I even said it in Ohio. It's a discussion. It's not a lecture. So it really hate, helps to create like a robust discussion around diversity. You put what you know into the pot. Someone, someone else puts what they know into the pot. And it culminates into really creating education and awareness for everyone. The other part of Stone Soup is really understanding intersectionality. It's a kind of a big word for some folks. Some folks know what it is, some folks don't. But understanding people's intersectionalities and lived experiences. When you have an intersectional group or a diverse group of people talking about diversity, you're going to have people with various lived experiences. We as women will have various lived experiences. Myself as a black woman will have a various lived experience. We wanna put those experiences into the pot too. We wanna to create, again, a safe and brave space for people to be able to talk about that. I hope that kind of answers the question. That's beautiful. That I love beautiful. it. I really do love it. It's, it's showing respect and appreciation for what people have and know and opens it up to learning more because other people are putting their knowledge into the pot and their experiences. That's beautiful. Mm, yeah. It is. And I confess ignorance of the stone soup fable. I, I'm, I'm educated. Um, so that was lovely. And then thinking about kind of the, the, the pot and lived experience and all that. Uh, one thing I came away with uh, in Ohio was just really impressed with your background, you know, like you. just the mix of your pursuits um, your degrees, yes. your, you know, a law degree, master's in HR, having run startups. And I just want to know, how do those things help you in your role as the DEI consultant? Yeah, that's another great question. So I think coming from um, employment law background, and I worked, you know, the first part of my working life was working in law firms and really learning really how people talk to each other, how people operate, what people say, what they don't say, uh, what's kind of underneath the surface, if you will. I saw a lot of that in law firms. And when I moved over to HR, like years later, this was about 15 years ago, I saw kind of a different way of people communicating. While they weren't tucking things under the rug, like most uh, law firms might do that. Um, they weren't saying what was really on their mind. They weren't being vulnerable and they weren't being transparent. And so I took my kind of education from my law firm background and my HR to help people really have candid conversations, to be vulnerable, to be transparent. And that's what got me into talking about and speaking about diversity work. I'm a huge, huge follower of Brene Brown. Hopefully I can mention her on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, huge, huge fan. And she talks a lot about vulnerability in, in corporate America. It's something that we don't see a lot of. And it's one of the things that I hope to share via Stone Soup with law firms, with tech startups in the HR space. I want people to be candid and allow them to kind of say what they're going to say, uh, speak their piece, if you will, and then have us help navigate how to step out of that when it's impacted someone in a different way. Mm -hmm. 
that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's lovely. It is. So I, uh, so you, you, it's a, a service, a new, uh, um, effort on in terms of the consulting piece of that. Yeah. Um, you were at the AME uh, Process yeah. Improvement, really continuous improvement conference. What um, strikes you about our industry, the process improvement industry, uh, and the connection between DEI and Lean Six Sigma? Um, were you yeah. in? Did you see this yourself? Um, what, what do you think is those important interactions between these two efforts, if you will? It's, it's, I I keep saying that these are all great questions. So first and foremost, um, one of the kind of parallels I see is putting your people first. And I spoke about this at the conference. A lot of people are, are like, well, what's the business case for diversity? Why do we do this? At the end of the day, it's about putting people first. And I know that is a huge concept in um, in, in lean practices, um, making sure your people are put first and making sure they know that they're being put first. I think that's really important. You can say that maybe your employees are, are, are put first or they're put up front, but you may not act that way. Um, so putting folks first, I think is important. Also, the continuous improvement, Kaizen, or process improvement, um, that to me also speaks to the diversity space. Because I think what I've seen in my in my diversity consulting practice and also as an HR professional, people want to check a box and they want to say, hey, we're doing diversity. Okay. And they want to check a box. And when it doesn't work, I'll have CEOs and COOs and C-suite folks going, well, you know, it just didn't work. It's just, it's not right for us. It's not fitting our bottom line. Instead of iterating, instead of continually continually looking at the process, continually, um, I think it's Hansei, like holding the mirror up to yourself to see how you're doing, what you're doing, and then using that Kaizen process to continually improve. Those are things I think Lean does well that other companies probably aren't brought on board with just yet. Um, and they, I think everyone should read the basic like Lean practices when they're thinking about any kind of process improvement, including diversity. Yeah. No, great. I think you are uh, profoundly correct. Respect for people uh, is underlying both uh, diversity efforts and Lean efforts. Yeah. And um, can you share some of the the methods? Because um, you mentioned a few in Ohio that yeah. the Lean Six Sigma community can use in support of um, DEI. Yeah. So two methods that come to mind are aligning your strategy. So making sure your strategy aligns to your overall goals. A lot of people, they keep diversity on the outside as a silo, and they don't think to incorporate it into their mission, their vision, their value, their OKRs, their KPIs, whatever your metrics are. But aligning your strategy with your diversity strategy with those goals that are in place with those metrics and with aligning strategy, that's not just saying, hey, we're adding diversity into our goals. It's it's more than that, right? It's getting our leadership engaged first. It's getting senior leader buy-in. It's high level of communication to make sure that folks are aware, this is what we're doing, 
This is why we're doing it. And this is how we incorporate it. A lot of folks just want to, again, check a box or throw something against the wall to see if it sticks. <laughs> but it doesn't always work that way. And another way um, to look at it, too, is um, just from a, a, a data perspective. Like if you are looking to figure out what your diversity strategy is, start with some of the data you already have. And I spoke about this in Ohio. Look at employee voice surveys. If you run a yearly, annually, biannually, what have you, employee voice survey, see what your employees are talking about. See if they feel included. Add some inclusive questions into your survey. When you also think about data, think about kind of where you are on the... Um, on the inclusion spectrum, do you have women in C-suite? Are women seeing themselves in C-suite? Are people of color seeing themselves in C-suite? If your data is showing that those things are lacking, then it may be time to start implementing that as part of your diversity best practices. And in a third way, I know I said two, but I've got a third, a third thing too, is um, you know, when we think about communication, when we're putting together diversity practice or any project, um, we want to make sure there's constant communication along the way. And one way to ensure communication is putting together a diversity council or a diversity committee, almost like a, a, a PM group, project management group or a PM committee, but putting together a committee across section of everyone in your corporation not just your CEO, not just your C-suite, not just your folks who might um, who might identify as diverse, but a cross-section of your L1 employees, your midline managers, your uh, manufacturing managers, your CEO, making sure all voices are heard on that committee so that you can go back, look at the data and say, hmm, I don't think this is the way we wanna go. Let's iterate, let's pivot, let's move this way. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. So I want to ask you a question that maybe will help, that I think people struggle with. So <laughs> diversity is sort of right on the perimeter of, it, it, there's a lot of embedding in, in politics, quite frankly, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, we've all, and people are always told, don't talk politics and don't talk religion at work. And so diversity becomes one of these things where people are like, should I we know. think about this, you know, and they get a little worried. And so how do we make it easier for people to have discussions about diversity? Because they are important discussions and they shouldn't be like, you know, like that whole don't ask, don't tell in the military. Right. That wasn't the best. You know, we don't want that happening with diversity. Exactly. Right? We, want, exactly. we want people to be able to talk about stuff. And so what would you suggest? as yeah. helping people have these conversations. Yeah, and I and I get this question a lot, Tracy. I always say start small. What I see out in the world is exactly what you're saying. People are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid of having, you know, the woke conversation or critical race theory. You don't have to start with those big concepts. You don't have to what I call boil the ocean, but start small. Starting small could be something very, very easy. It could be having three people on a conversation just like we're having now. Maybe we're three leaders and we just want to talk in a safe space with each other about diversity. It could also be 
it depends on where you are. Always kind of meet people where they are, right? It could be a book club concept. You could read some of the resources I um, shared with you all in Ohio. So you want to talk about race by Ijeoma Oluo. You can read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Or an e easier approach or kind of a less intense approach would be just to Wall Street Journal or Harvard Business Review article, just to share that. And it doesn't have to be an entire session. It doesn't have to be starting a diversity committee. It doesn't have to be putting a framework together. It could be the last 10 or 15 minutes of your meeting and saying, hey, we are going to read this Wall Street Journal around colorism or, or caste. At our next team meeting, we're gonna discuss about it. Come with your thoughts. Come with three things that you didn't know. Super simple, super engaging, and it allows people to slowly embed themselves into the work instead of that stark, oh my gosh, we're having a diversity conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think what you describe, it's like lowering, lowering the anxiety bar. Yes. Right? Saying this is really just, it's just a conversation or it's like, hey, so uh, the, that aspect I find is is huge. And then mm -hmm. I was thinking about what gets in the way. And and I, I know you've probably heard this one, but I remember Tracy and I were part of uh, building a startup and, you know, the the hiring was going on kind of with people helping. It wasn't Tracy, Tracy and I doing it. And all of a sudden there was a, lo a lot of guys. We were hiring a lot of guys. And okay. finally we hired uh, a woman. And I remember just, you know, blasting on our usual, our, uh, I think we were using Slack at the time saying, you know, hey, we got a gal in the mix. And 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 one of the, um, one of our partners shot back, like, you know, we hire based on merit. You know, you really shouldn't comment on the gender. And I was like, Wait a second. We're you're it's your brother hiring all his friends. Like what? <laughs> and and they're all guys. Like, how is that gonna ensure a mix? So right. what do you see? And I'm sure you've heard and seen that kind of stuff, but I've heard <laughs> yes. that phrase. But what are the biggest challenges you see organizations face when trying to be more mindful and proactive about diversity? Yeah. So I it's a yes and conversation to your point, Elizabeth. So Yes, he's right. You hire based on merit. And it's important to make sure that there's a balance of diversity at the table. Like I said earlier, different intersectionalities, people, people from different backgrounds, different experiences. That's also important. So what I coach and guide on when I get that question, which is a fair question, I get it a lot, but we hire on merit. Okay, I still expect you, leader, to hire on merit. And if there is a female candidate, let's use engineering. There's a female candidate engineer and a male candidate engineer. And you happen to know this male candidate. You Maybe you both went to Stanford or wherever together. But the female and male candidate both have the same experience. They have the same education, the same background. They've done the same type of work to get to this job uh, interview. Why are we just looking at the male candidate? So I push back ever so gently. Are you looking at the male candidate because it's a, what I call a like, likes like, because he looks like you, 
he's like you, he's from the same neighborhood and school as you, and you like him because he's just like you? Or are you not looking at the female candidate who may not have your same lived experiences? So maybe you are worried as the leader or manager, how will I lead? Oh, I've never led a, a, a woman of color, female engineer. I, hmm, how will I do this? Take away those, I don't know, mirrors or what have you, and just say they're both qualified candidates. Let's look at the candidate that will be right for the job. And let's also look at the candidate that may be right for the team and right for the role. It's a culture ad, not culture fit approach. Does that all make sense? I know I, job, I jumped around Ooh, there. I like that a lot. Culture, culture ad. Because it's a culture you know, ad. Yeah. Yeah. Culture fit, I think sometimes has been pot like if they're not a fit at this culture, but the culture ad piece reminds us the culture fit shouldn't be just hire everybody that were that that exists in the organization now. So right. I really like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can use that when your person says, well, we shouldn't talk about gender. That's not okay. Say yes. And it is okay when we're looking at it from a culture ad perspective, we want to make sure that we're seeing gender parity and we want to make sure that other women can see themselves in leadership positions, which is probably not happening in some of some companies. Right. So. Right. Absolutely. Wow. That's impressive. I love that. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you too. And, you know, I, I'm listening to you talk and I hear some of the same challenges that we have in lean. And maybe that is why there's so much, um, it, you know, we always talk about lean. It's not about tools and process improvement. It's about healthy culture. And yeah. we want our cultures to be healthy. Otherwise people can't do process improvement. And a healthy yeah. culture is a diverse culture. And so- and, and we also get the check the box thing, right? We, we people say, okay, how do I check the box on this op X stuff so I can really do the work I want to do? So you exactly. have some of that. And then we often see that people are sidelining op X, operational excellence too. They, mm -hmm. they don't see it as the way to do the work, just like diversity. They see mm -hmm. it as, oh, we got to do this other stuff over here. And it's sort of a, you know on the side of core work. And yeah. I'm always trying to tell people, no, it needs to be part of core work. And it is yes. core work. It's the yes. way you do core work, yeah. right? And so, you know, having people do that. So what are you seeing out there now? Do you feel like people are doing it more because of respect and they really mm. do want to see people and they want to have a culture that is healthy? Or do you feel like people are being compliant? You know, I'm seeing a little of both, Tracy, to be honest. I will say this. In 2020, I think everyone was, I, I hate to use the word, but we are on Zoom. We were a captive audience. A lot of us were just on Zoom and in front of our cameras and in front of our, our televisions, if you will. Um, and so we were a captive audience to 2020. And so the things we saw in 2020 really did make us take a look at wow, diversity could really be a thing. I didn't know that was someone's lived experience. I didn't know police treated people differently in different states possibly, right? So I think we were a captive audience and we were paying attention. 
But as the pandemic kind of started subsiding and we were allowed to go back to work in a hybrid fashion or maybe in a full-time fashion, I also noticed a pullback of companies and leaders um, around diversity. So today I feel like, you know, here we are in almost 2024. Wow. I feel like diversity is at risk because mm -hmm. we are not as captive. We're not, we, we're, our, our attention isn't focused on what's in front of us. It's focused again on all of the other things. So my guidance to a lot of my leaders are, I know that diversity was a key priority and we don't want it to look performative for you and your company. So I ask that you keep it a key priority moving forward, but maybe you have to pivot. Maybe you have to navigate, um, like you're saying, you know, how do we weave it into the rest of our work? Maybe you need to pivot and navigate in a way that allows you to continue to weave it in to the rest of the work. One way of doing that and one way that seems to be successful where diversity is not at risk as much is when companies put together a framework and when they put together some, some type of learning journey. I spoke about this too at, in Ohio, right? Oh if they put together a framework that allows people that resonates with your teams and allows people to understand what the diversity initiatives are, why they're important, how they're embedded into your goals. That really keeps the diversity conversation going, right? Also, develop training and development. I'm also uh, outside of a diversity leader. I'm a uh, learning and development leader. So training and development is key. And I don't mean this just from a compliance lens. We all have to go through anti-harassment training or employee relations training. That's mm -hmm. great. And you can incorporate diversity training in your training and development practices. It could be sales. It could be an engineering training where you need to add some type of diversity um, initiative or some kind of diversity training in your in your um, in your practice. What, what I like to call this, and I'm going to steal this from my previous leader, his name is Bernard Coleman. I like to put the broccoli in the brownie. And that way, <laughs> I know I have all these little isms. I, have, I like to put the broccoli in the brownie. That way they don't taste it. They don't see it. The brownie tastes really good and they're still getting the nutrients from it. I like that kind of approach with diversity. It could be bite-sized trainings, something really small, something that you know, engineers would normally not think, oh, wow, uh, we need to hear more voices at the table and not just mm -hmm. the male voices, putting training in place around mm -hmm. something like that. Just adding that broccoli into the brownie each time really helps the diversity conversation continue. Mm -hmm. I think that term bite-sized is so helpful. It's back yeah. to your description of meet people where they are. And you're just talking about making it systemic um, and making it accessible and bite-sized, yeah. like all yeah. those things I think help people on the path and, and make it, you know, not this other thing that, um, that we've got to be compliant with. So, yeah, yeah, I totally appreciate that. Um, this is a rich conversation. This is so great. I'm so happy that we're ending the year with our conversation with you, Danny. It's been really nice. Thanks. And um, we'll provide links for people, but just describe how folks can get in touch with you if they would like to talk more. 
Yeah, so if you reach out to, or if you just type in stonesoupdiversity.com, you'll find my website. You'll find a little bit more about Stone Soup and how we can help you all. Um, you can also just reach out to me at stonesoupdiversity uh, at gmail.com. Very, very easy. And right now, with just to add a little bit more, Stone Soup is really focusing um, on small to mid-sized companies, depending on your diversity need. Uh, we've been supporting small boutique law firms because I come from a law firm background. Definitely tech startups, folks that are uh, engineering firms that feel like they may need support. Nonprofits uh, seem to be doing, uh, getting a lot out of the Stone Soup conversation. Um, so that's our starting point, and we're well. I'm I'm excited to think about what more we can do with larger companies and larger audiences. So feel free to reach out. Um, I've got a 30, 30 minute free consultation that you can click on and schedule. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank and you so much, Danny. Yeah. You're so is, welcome. Um, well, we will talk again, I'm sure. And uh Maybe we'll get you back to the cafe sometime for some instruction, giving us a little of the how-to. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And Sounds good. Thank you for having me both. I really appreciate this time. Absolutely. And I will give you a big end of year wave. See you, see you soon. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Stay tuned for news about our January webinar. We're looking forward to shaking some stuff up in the new year. And are you looking for ideas for holiday gift exchanges? Have you ordered Elizabeth's book yet? Well, it just won the International Impact Book Award for Best Leadership Book. And there's still time to get copies of the best-selling Picture Yourself a Leader. All the links are below. Congratulations on that, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you, my friend. And be sure to check out my favorite video, Baby Got Tools, Tracy's Hit Lean Parody Rap Video, because it will pump you up to crush waste. And stay tuned for the re-release of our book, The Problem Solvers Toolkit in the New Year. We have been working very hard and we are very, very excited to finally get this re-release out the cover reveals is in the works and we'll keep you posted on the relaunch and hope you love it as much as we do. Stay tuned for all the news by joining our community at the Just-In-Time Cafe. Thanks again. We have loved your company all year long. We love ha having you at the Just-In-Time Cafe and we are determined to make all of us the best we can be one episode at a time. So we really hope to see you next year in the new year every month so you can get your jolt of lean caffeine.